0: Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, we continue exploring ancient cities and the gods who built them with Micah Van Hus, and Greg Patton will encourage us to trust God in the bad times. Last week, we shared the good news of Southwest Radio Ministries and Prophecy in the News joining in a special gospel partnership that includes bringing back the Prophecy in the News magazine. The very first issue is going to hit mailboxes in the next few days. Don't be left out. Subscribe to the Prophecy in the News magazine today. With your subscription, you get a print and digital version and access to our online streaming platform, FaithNet TV. Call today and subscribe to the Prophecy in the News magazine. Call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or go to our website, swrc.com. Yesterday, Micah Van Huss began unveiling the mysteries we find in the Bible about the Nephilim, Tower of Babel, and ancient cities. So let's join Pastor Larry as he continues his fascinating discussion with Micah about ancient cities and the gods who built them.
1: You know, Ancient Cities is the first book in a series planned to cover the depth and breadth of the marginal mysteries that are of concern to the careful student of the Bible. There's lots of those mysteries. Tell us about what you're planning. And I know you've got a whole series on the DVDs, but where are you going with this? Our solid
2: plan, meaning that we have already mentioned the series names and presentations and on social media, we have finished Ancient Cities and the gods who built them. I do intend to, in the future, do a second Ancient Cities because there's so many awesome cities that we still need to get to, but I have fun doing these ones. Currently, I am working on my next book, my next show, next podcast, The Earth As It Was. Pause there because that is the earth before the flood of Noah, how the earth was fascinating topics from the firmament which I believe was likely a layer of ice in our atmosphere, the canopy theory, well most of the canopy theory I don't agree with all of it. We talk about dinosaurs, men's long lives all kinds of awesome stuff from the earth before the flood of Noah. Did some awesome Photoshop work, got some ice in the sky, some firmament looking stuff for the last presentation. The next series after we're done with the earth as it was will be Secret Societies where we'll get into anything and everything but planned so far the Freemace Illuminati. Now,
1: you're not a conspiracy theorist, are you? Depends on the topic. (laughs) Well, (laughs) there have been conspiracies since the fall, so yeah, I know that. From (laughs)
2: being in politics, I'm used to being called all kinds of things. So uh, (laughs) call me whatever you want. I just enjoy studying it, and we'll talk about it and see what we can find out about it. We also get into the Knights Templar, Bilderberg Group, the Bohemian Grove out in California. Fascinating place. Uh, Alex Jones from Infowars broke that one, filmed some of it, and so just fascinating stuff. So I'm looking forward to getting into Secret Societies after we finish the Earth as it was.
1: Now, I think I need to tell our listeners, most of them have not met you, but Micah Van Huss is a big muscular fellow with bulging muscles. And you are in the Marine Corps, also in the state legislature in Tennessee.
2: That is correct. My life has been in segments of eight years. I served eight years in the Marine Corps as a scout sniper over in Iraq three times in Afghanistan once. And then after that, I served in the Tennessee House of Representatives, Washington County, Tennessee, for eight years. We passed the Tennessee heartbeat bill, worked on constitutional carry of firearms, passed some good freedom legislation. And then now we're here, the host of the Marginal Mystery Show. So I'm hoping for at least eight years here because I love studying this stuff. I've studied it for Decades, even when I was in the Marine Corps, going over to Babylon itself. And so, yeah, I'm fascinated by this stuff.
1: Well, the reason why I bring this up is because some of our listeners who don't know you, they might think this guy is a real weirdo. He (laughs) lives underground (laughs) somewhere. But you really don't. You're a a red-blooded Christian American patriot. You believe in good health and other good things like that. So praise the Lord for how God is raising servants in these last days. There's a lot of bad stuff going on, but guess what? There's a lot of good stuff going on. And that's one of the reasons why I believe that in the end times, there will be, and I think we're seeing it even now, revival. But that's for another show. Well, let's get back to, I guess we're going to be talking about Atlantis. You spoke about satellite imagery, where you will see white ground to the south of the Reshat structure, which is salt. Now, this is in the So-called Eye of the Sahara. How is this related to Atlantis? And tell us about the Reshat structure.
2: And I recommend Jimmy from Bright Insight. He's where I got real fascinated with the Reshat structure and agree with the things he said. The Reshat structure is, as Plato described Atlantis, the measurements are within the range of what we believe a Greek Stata was. Nobody knows what the Greek Stata was. Some people claim they do. But there's six different mathematical explanations for what a Greek state measurement was. This Reshot structure, Atlantis, had a central island of land, a ring of water, a ring of land, a ring of, water, a ring of water, a ring of land, and then an ocean that opened up to the south and mountains to the north. If you look at the Reshot structure, I'm not going to sit here and try to describe it, but if you're listening you should probably Google the Reshot structure. It might be easier to Google the Eye of the Sahara. It's got mountains to the north full of rivers. You can see the white sand on the south side where it was an ocean. That is, Josh Sigurdson did an awesome YouTube exploration out there. He tasted the sand himself. So it was an ocean at one point, it appears. If you look at the western part of Africa on satellite imagery, it's obvious that the entire western part of Africa had water at one point and drained off to the west. Even looking out into the water, you can see the shallow ground under the water for many, 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 many miles where the dirt that was on top of Africa is now in the ocean. So it's obvious at one point, the Northern Africa bulged up. Most scientists agree that Northern Africa was a lush, tropical environment, and that they say probably before the younger dryas climate catastrophe on their timeline, 11,600 BC. But it's obvious that it was a lush environment. So it's obvious. I think that the city of Atlantis is the destroyed city of Atlantis. I think this is most likely it. It fits Plato's descriptions. Poseidon and his wife, Cleto, had 10 sons, five sets of twins. You'll find Africa has the highest rate of births of twins in the world. Atlantis is described as having a ton of elephants, and you'll find cave drawings of elephants around wow. this area. Uh, and a this is of desert now, no yes. elephants, yeah. A lot of elephants in Western Africa. Atlas was the first king of Atlantis, and this reshot structure is in the Atlas mountain range in northwest Africa. So just fascinating, again, the map that Herodotus drew in 430 B.C., it literally has the word Atlantis with a question mark next to it in northwestern Africa wow. on the map. So it's a fascinating structure. Maybe one day I could get there. It would be cool to do. Yeah,
1: it would be fantastic. Well, you say that the Reshat structure is in northwest Africa in modern-day Mauritania. So for those who would like to check it out, and the spelling of Reshad is R-I-C-H-A-T, Reshat structure. Well, let's talk about something that I find absolutely fascinating. You say Heinrich Himmler An officer in the Third Reich planned the largest expedition ever to find Atlantis. Why would he do that?
2: As the Nazis were trying to conquer the world, they were sending all kinds of expeditions trying to find any kind of ancient technology that would help them conquer the world. Atlantis. A lot of people say it was a utopia, but it was actually a warrior state. They tried to conquer Athens at one point. They were very much into their war. They weren't necessarily a utopia. Also, a lot of people say, "Well, the city of Atlantis—that's that's just fairy tales." Well, it was also Homer who wrote about the city of Troy, and everybody said the city of Troy it was a fairy tale too—the Trojan horse and all that. Until in 1871, Heinrich Schliemann found the city of so I think that gives a lot of credence to the possibility of Atlantis having been a real location. I mean, there's all kinds of destroyed sites around our world. Yeah. We as Christians know there was a global flood that destroyed Basically everything, including the city of Enoch, the first city mentioned in the Bible in Genesis four seventeen, The Garden of Eden was obviously a real place. The tree of life was a real item. So is it still here on the earth today? Did God destroy the Garden of Eden during the flood? You know, we don't know. Is it under the ice in Antarctica? The earth was probably Pangea before the flood, meaning that Antarctica was part of the world before. Synonymous with that, there's actually the Pierre Rees map was drawn by a Muslim cartographer in 1513, I think. It depicts, in my view, it depicts the continent of Antarctica only 500 years ago with animals and rivers and trees on it. Fascinating map, fascinating thing to study. What is under the ice in Antarctica? What is under the water in the Bermuda Triangle? There's all kinds of destruction going on around our world, and I think that's what happened with the city of Atlantis. And I do believe it's most likely the Reshot structure.
1: Well, you know, as you're talking and making all these connections, I'm just amazed at how the inspiration of Scripture is coming out. Because obviously, humanly speaking, the writers did not in their minds know all these connections and these different things. But obviously, God the Holy Spirit, who is the author of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, knew all about it. And so you see these little clues here and there, and you say, wow, I'm just learning so much, and I'm so excited about it. And you've been plumbing the depths, so to speak, already. Let's move on to the city of Eridu. It's the city that is thought to be one of the two oldest post-Diluvian cities in the world. It was inhabited by the ancient Sumerians. So the question is, is it possible that this is the site of the Tower of Babel?
2: It is possible. There are ruins of a ziggurat, excuse me, not ruins, but a foundation of a ziggurat founded Eridu. Dr. Petrovich would say that this is the site of the Tower of Babel likely. It is quite possible. The Sumerians built the Hanging Gardens, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which was likely a ziggurat style tower with the foliage on it. The Tower of Babel, if you'll notice in Genesis, I was always taught in Sunday school that they built the tower to reach into heaven, like some giant tower that just infinitely goes up. And that's not what Genesis says. It says they built the tower so that they would not be scattered throughout the world to make a name for themselves so that they could congregate together. Notice in Genesis chapter 9, God tells Noah to be fruitful and multiply. So the idea of coming together to build the tower and staying together in a city was contrary to what God had told them to do. At this time, Pangea, the earth had just started to break apart after the fountains of the deep during the flood. So the continents are still relatively close together. There's probably land bridges that obviously don't exist today. So Noah was told, all his sons were told to be fruitful, multiply, go throughout the earth. The Tower of Babel is contrary to what God told man to do. So I believe that the Tower of Babel was not like a giant, infinite-looking tower trying to reach into the skies. I think it was likely a ziggurat, which does go up into the sky which is also a little bit synonymous with the high places. I do believe that these cultures, the Aztecs, people who built these pyramids, there's something about the high places that is a something to do with going back and forth between the spiritual and physical realms. You'll notice in the Bible Almost every time that God is mentioned coming to this earth or Jesus being transfigured or something happening spiritually, it's on a high mountain. Satan takes Jesus into a high mountain and shows him all the cities of the world in an instant when, when Satan is tempting Jesus. God is on Mount Sinai with Moses. The Nephilim, the Ben Elohim, descend on top of Mount Hermon. The Tower of Babel, I think, was most like a ziggurat trying to reach into the high places. Pyramids
1: also do that as well. Do you think the Sumerians were taught writing by perhaps the Bene haelohim Elohim?
2: I think it's a good possibility. They say that. They were. They don't say beneha Elohim. They
1: say Awanas. Uh, oh, really? So there's a connection there. Yes, They yes, don't use a- that phrase, but they were taught writing supernaturally or supernaturally? So
2: what were the Nephilim doing? They were modifying human and animal DNA. Yeah. The ancient Egyptian pharaohs, gods, have animal heads and human bodies. Well, the Sumerians say that Awanas walked out of the water. He was half fish, half man and he taught them writing. He said, you're gonna worship us, we're gonna be your gods, and we're gonna teach you writing. There are seven spirits, I think they're called the Apkalu, but Awanus was the one who taught mankind writing. He came out of the water. That is what the Book of Enoch says, that the Nephilim taught writing to mankind among all the other things, abortion, and mixing of metals, and studying of the stars, and all that stuff. Writing was one of the things mentioned in the Book of Enoch. The Sumerians say that the half fish, half man taught him how to write.
1: There is some information in the Bible that would suggest the location of the Garden of Eden. What about its location? Where is it now? Is it under the ocean? Could it have floated somewhere during the breakup of the continents where it says the fountains of the deep were broken up at the time of the flood? And what about Mesopotamia? Is there indication of it having been there?
2: Absolutely. And if you think that the Garden of Eden was untouched, I mean, I think it's possible God could hide something from people's sight for thousands of years and just leave it sitting where it was. That is a possibility that the Garden of Eden is at the head of the Tigris and Euphrates River. Eden had four rivers coming out of it. I believe it was a mountain. Ezekiel calls it the mountain of God, where he cast down Lucifer from. But four, four rivers coming out the Tigris and Euphrates. Now, the Tigris and Euphrates were rivers before the flood, but likely transformed if they were even the same ones the the flood, Noah and his family get off the ark and they find a river and they're like, okay, we're going to name this after what we know from the old world. Okay, this is the Euphrates. So we don't really know that the Tigris and Euphrates today are the same Tigris and Euphrates from the book of Genesis, two other rivers. So there's four rivers coming out of it and a lot of people will will look around the region of Iraq, Iran and Turkey and say, okay, this is where it should be. And there's fascinating studies on on top of mountains, different colored rocks on top. There were a bunch of gems and jewels and sapphires and all kinds of things on the Garden of Eden, according to Ezekiel Ezekiel chapter 28. So where is it now? As we talked about a little bit earlier, you know, the earth was Pangea, it was broken up. Is the Garden of Eden under the Bermuda Triangle? Is it under the ice in Antarctica? Is it just completely gone? Well, we know that God put a flaming sword to guard the tree of life. Side note, God never tells us not to eat from the tree of life. He told him not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life is at some point in the future, according to the book of Revelation, it is in heaven. So here we have a tree which was on the earth in the Garden of Eden. And in the some point in the future, is in heaven. It bears 12 different kinds of fruits. If you're trying to picture what the tree of life was wow. in paradise, it has 12 different fruits. And it heals the nations is what it says. And the people drink of the waters underneath. And so it's fascinating to think about the possibility. Was Eden a spiritual and physical dimension at the same time? Now, I think spiritual beings can see the physical dimension. So for them, it's no problem. But for us, we don't generally see the spiritual dimension unless God lets us. Even though he says towards the end, the veil between the spiritual and physical will start to break break. towards the end of the world. Anyway, was the Garden of Eden? Were Adam and Eve able to go? Was it part of the spiritual dimension when they lived there and they were cast out because of their sin? I don't know, but the Tree of Life was in the Garden of Eden and it is in Paradise in the future. So fascinating to think about.
1: I know a lot of the higher critical scholars, their so-called JEDP theory of the Pentateuch, you're probably familiar with that, They put around 800 A.D., very late, and the consensus, at least, with the Velhausen School, and I think a lot of critical scholars today, is that the ancients were idiotic, stupid gorillas who didn't know very much, but you point out that the Sumerians were the first to employ the arch, the vault, and the dome. Their cities were completely enclosed by brick walls. Their most important buildings were temples in the form of large mounds called ziggurats. But I think the research that you've been doing shows us that the ancient world, they were not a bunch of gorillas. They were very Culture, they knew science, they knew astronomy, they were thinkers, they were philosophers. Now, God had not revealed Himself to them fully the way He did through Israel, the Jewish people, they're the keepers of the scriptures and so forth. But I think we have a new view of the ancients. They were pretty brilliant. And certainly, Genesis chapter 4, workers in metal and so on and so forth musical instruments. You can't have musical instruments without an understanding of the scale, the different scales. There's mathematics involved there. Astronomy involves mathematics. So this, I think, is really amazing.
2: Absolutely. And if you look at a lot of ruins from Egypt to South America, Machu Picchu, other places, you will notice, especially, I think it's the Temple at the Sphinx, but you'll notice the building of the stones on the first layer are extremely precise, amazing technology. And then right above them, you can tell another culture came behind, the Egyptians, and built more crude stones on top. So when people say, oh, the Egyptians, the builders of the pyramids are builders of these amazing things, while possible, I think that they came along found these ruins that were just amazing builds and, and started building on top of them. Machu Picchu is another example of just amazing stone cutting, and you can't fit paper between the cracks. And then yet another layer on top, there's more crude buildings. It's just like, well, some ancient technology did this. I would speculate that it was the Nephilim, the watchers and their descendants of the Nephilim, that had this technology that built the pyramids, the measurements of the Great Pyramid of Giza, amazing numbers, uh, amazing star ports inside you. You can see out into the stars, just some amazing things going on. So I don't think these people are idiots. And this is a little bit synonymous with there are Christians who say, well, evolution could be real. And, you know, God could have created and things could have evolved. But, you know, I just don't believe in all of those fairy tales, you know. Well, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you believe that Jesus is the Savior, you should look at what Jesus said. Jesus said that the great flood happened, that Noah was on the ark, and the people were saved on the ark. Those are Jesus' words. I don't know everything, but I do know that the Bible gives us a timeline, a solid timeline for the ages of every single person that was born. 1,656 years before the flood was the time frame from the fall of man to the flood and then it gives the genealogies from Noah all the way down to Jesus. So we do have a timeline, a solid timeline, and that's roughly 6,000 years if you're talking about the Masoretic 7,500
1: if you're talking about the Greek Septuagint. So it's fascinating to study. God's created an awesome world. The book is Ancient Cities and the Gods Who Built Them by Micah Van Hus. We do have four episodes on one DVD. There are more DVDs, so you'll want to get all this material and just follow Micah Because he's into something big and doing a great job. Thank you so much, dear brother. Thank you, Pastor Larry, for having me.
0: Who are the Nephilim? What really happened at the Tower of Babel? Where is Atlantis? Who are the Shining Ones? And are these questions relevant to our walk with God and our understanding of His creation? Find out in the brand new book and DVD, Ancient Cities and the Gods Who Built Them, by Micah Van Hus. Order your copy today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. It's easy to trust God when everything is going good. But what about when the tough times come? Greg Patton is here to encourage us to trust God in those bad times.
3: You know, I started in the ministry decades ago as an evangelist traveling all over America, and it was fantastic. Revival after revival, altars filling all the time. I said, this is the life. I don't know how it could get any better. And then somewhere along the line, the wheels came off and reality set in. And you know what? To this very day, The wheels keep falling off and I keep putting them back on. I think this is the normal life for a Christian. There's good times, there's bad times. Let me ask you how do you trust God during the difficult times? If God is so good, then why do we go through bad times at all? I think it's easy to trust Him when everything is going great, sure. But when things aren't going well, you can struggle just to keep your head above water. And keep the faith, right? Trusting God, my friend, in tough times isn't so hard when we remember who He is. Reading the Bible to understand the character of God helps us to have some hope. Certainly, God's Word reminds us that He's a rescuer who never leaves us nor forsakes us, whose mercy and love endures forever, and who hears the cries of His people. Today, He hears you. God is always faithful, He's a good Father who only has good in store for his children. And if we doubt this, trusting God in hard times will be, well, almost impossible. Some of the worst times we've had was Sharon's sickness in 2012. My wife, Sharon, where she almost passed from this life to the next 71 days in intensive care and wondering, what in the world is going on? God, I have so many things I want to do, so many things I need to do. And it was going so well. What happened? You, my friend, learn so many more things in the valley than you ever do on the mountaintop, and those are the rewarding times. You may not think of it right now, but they really are. And it goes back to that trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and the Bible says He'll direct your path. You believe the Bible, right? You know, King David wrote many of the Psalms, and he often cried out to God to help him as he was being chased by people who wanted to kill him. Has that happened to you recently? After telling God about the enemies who wanted to take his life, David declared, But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I like that. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. That's Psalm 3 three and four. David reminded himself who God was so that he wouldn't get discouraged no matter what came his way. Here's a problem that I share with most of you. When things are down, I'm on my knees before God, crying out to him and asking him to answer my prayer. And then when he does, guess what happens? Oh, I used to do that all the time. I remember I was preaching in Westland, Michigan at Prayer Baptist Church with Dr. Larry Bartlett. Well, it was the greatest week. They held us over a second week for revival, and the offering was $5,000. I drove back to Fort Wayne, Indiana at the end of that, so spiritually high and financially set, put that in the bank. Ah, my friend, there's a danger there. When things go well, we have a tendency to forget God. You never, ever, ever want to do that, beloved. So are you going through maybe the tough times? Maybe there is an illness, maybe a terminal illness. How are we Christians supposed to respond? It's easy when everything's going well, tough when it's not. I have a friend going through a very, very difficult time right now, and certainly something to pray about. Mark Souter, for 16 years, was the 4th District U.S. Congressman here from the state of Indiana. We became friends when I started the Christian radio station WFCV here in Fort Wayne, Indiana, decades ago. He then was the owner of Souter's Furniture Store in good old Grable, Indiana. He later went on to serve 16 years as a congressman from our district, a good Christian representative. Mr. Souter is currently battling fourth-stage pancreatic cancer, and he posts things about once a week. And last night, this came through. I wanted to share it today. A few nights at the end of the week and yesterday were especially difficult with considerable pain. Not like many of you, though. When I first discovered my life has some actual probable time limits possibly very short, it was incredibly sobering. I prayed for God to give me more time if He was willing. But most of us are in many ways like the Israelites wandering in the desert. When we're starving, we are thankful to God that He gives us plain manna to eat. But as the threat of immediate starvation passes and life proceeds, we think maybe some bacon and buttered toast would be nice with that manna maybe some condiments. As a new routine develops, we can forget our situation. We can also easily fall into a natural, at least for us, trap of wanting to go back to the way things were. But life has changed. The past is gone. I have pancreatic cancer. Others of you have other things that have altered your life. There'll be good days and bad days. God, who created us, understands our weaknesses and wants, but Ultimately, we can't plan our way out of these things. There are things we can do, and medicine today is amazing compared to any other point in world's history. But there are finite limits. Miracles occur, but they are called miracles for a reason. The challenge is to be thankful for the wonderful life that I've had and appreciate the time I've been granted. Like others who are struggling, you know this is not easy day after day. Heaven will be wonderful. But as for time here, it's not in our hands. We need to use whatever quality of life we have here and appreciate it because it's not going to last forever. But some days that's easier to do than others. That's where prayer and a prayer life are especially important. Thank you, Brother Mark, for that tremendous reminder. I say it so often, and it's true. Trouble ain't trouble till it comes to me in some way do not forget God. In the good times, rejoice. In the bad times, praise Him. And keep in mind, my friend, He is the author and the finisher of your faith. And Romans 8.28, still in the book, all things work together for good to them that love God, to thee called according to His purpose. It will not be long. We are going to be in heaven together. What a glorious day that will be. Be encouraged regardless of the situation, in Jesus Christ this day.
0: Micah Van Huss' brand new book and DVD, Ancient Cities and the Gods Who Built Them. This book delves into the topics that are not mentioned in most churches, but are mentioned throughout Scripture. Order Ancient Cities and the Gods Who Built Them today when you call 1-800-652-1144 or order online swrc.com. Tomorrow, James Collins and Larry Spargimino will look at the latest headlines from the end times. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily Watchmen on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you.
1: Visit SWRC.com.